Hey, it's PF, and as promised last week, you're getting a, another encore presentation of PF's tape recorder. This time we're going back to episode 195, or below that magic 300 number, of course, to find some great old episodes. This one is with April Richardson. You may remember April as one of the rotating co-hosts of Rock Solid, our friend Pat Francis's podcast, and pre-COVID, she went over to England, uh, met this dude who was in a pop band back in the late 80s, 90s that I wasn't super familiar with. I think I heard the name. I don't remember what, what the band was, but she met this guy. Uh, they hit it off. She decided, I'm marrying this man and I'm moving to England, and that's exactly what she did. And I see her from time to time on the Twitter and the Facebook and things like that, but I'm not exactly sure what she is up to. So uh, in any case, it's April Richardson is who we're going to uh, hear from today. We're going to get a brand new song of the week on the other side of this from Joy Crooks. I think you're really going to enjoy that, uh, speaking of British people. And uh, yeah, this is uh, April is really funny. She knows a lot about music and uh, what a great combination. What a lucky guy this dude is to find her, right? Uh, so anyway, here is, uh, I'm not, I'll have to ask Pat actually what um, April is up to exactly because I don't think she's actually on the social media grid as much anymore now that she's over there in the UK. So I'll get an update from Pat, and I'll let you guys know sometime in the future. But in the meantime, fun conversation. We talk about her friendship with Billy Bragg and all kinds of other great stuff. So here is the encore presentation of episode 195 of PF's Tape Recorder. Hi, this is Rob Delaney, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian and one of the rotating hosts of the Rock Solid podcast, April Richardson. April explains what famous singer-songwriter encouraged her to try stand-up for the first time. He's like, why aren't you doing comedy? Like, that's what you moved out here for. I remember you telling me that. What's your problem? Like, gave me this total dad, like, Tony Robbins pep talk. And was just like, you have to do an open, like, do comedy. I'm going to kick your ass. I will be so disappointed in you. We'll hear more from April in just a bit. We have some bits and pieces to get to that we missed over vacation involving Rick Santorum and Phil Robertson and just a lot of crazy, crazy nonsense. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Washington, D.C. was plunged into a blackout this past Monday. Power was out across the city for several hours. The outage was blamed on a downed transmission line outside of the city, faulty backup systems, and the black guy in the White House. Rand Paul announced his bid for president this past Tuesday, telling supporters, Today begins the journey to take America back, which is odd since he's among those who think America has too many takers. The lyrics of the famed Don McLean song American Pie sold for $1.2 million this past Tuesday at an auction held by Christie's. McLean told Rolling Stone magazine that it was time to part with the manuscript. Headlines around the world proclaimed Don McLean reveals the meaning of American Pie after the singer said, Basically, American Pie, things are heading in the wrong direction, he told Christie's. It is becoming less idyllic. I don't know whether you consider that right or wrong, but it is a morality song in a sense. So he almost revealed the meaning of American Pie. Criminal hackers doing the bidding of the Russian government are believed to have hacked into a non-classified White House computer network last year, according to a person with knowledge of the investigation. An analysis of the malicious code and other evidence gathered shows certain characteristics known to be used by criminal hackers working under the sponsorship of the Russian government, said the person who wasn't authorized to speak publicly about the investigation. And that may be part of the problem right there. 
Generations of school children have learned that a massive, long-necked dinosaur called Brontosaurus once roamed the Earth. But in fact, scientists dropped that name more than a century ago, referring to it as Apatosaurus instead. Now, after a thorough analysis of dozens of long-necked specimens, a team of British and Portuguese paleontologists say it's time to revive the old name. Dino, reached at his home in Beverly Hills, proclaimed it was a great day for Brontosauruses everywhere. A Harvard professor who taught U.S. President Barack Obama torched his prize pupil last month on Capitol Hill. Constitutional scholar Lawrence Tribe, who also served in the Justice Department under Obama, testified last month during a House hearing that the president's climate change policies are similar to, quote, burning the Constitution. Nonsense, said the White House. Burning the Constitution would create more greenhouse gases. Former Vice President Dick Cheney took another swipe at President Barack Obama on Tuesday, criticizing him over the Iran deal framework put in place last week. Cheney, who accused Iran of having one of the most radical regimes in history and being sworn to destroy Israel, told radio host Hugh Hewitt the deal will be a burden on the next occupant of the White House. And he should know what it's like to leave a mess for the next president. And that's been Fake News with me. We were out of town uh, last week in Texas visiting relatives and uh, go San Antonio. And uh, we missed a couple of things, but I wanted to get to them anyway. First of all, I need to tell you that I had to unlike Newsbusters on Facebook. And you know how much I enjoy my, my Newsbusters, of course, because of all their nonsense. But the problem is, is I can't resist commenting uh, to, to the idiots uh, that you know, comment on the Newsbusters page. And, and then, of course, then that's all you see in your newsfeed when you like something. Even ironically, Facebook doesn't understand that you're doing it, you know, just to be entertained and because you think it's a laugh. They think, oh, you really must like Newsbusters. Here, there's a ton of Newsbusters crap for you. And it's just so depressing. Um, so anyway, I, I unfollowed it, but I still um, uh, look it up through Facebook in the search, which I guess technically means I'm trolling, but not really because I did like it at one time. It was just too much. There was no way to, you, there's no way to dial back. You can't just tell Facebook... Can you just dial this back just a little bit? It's either all or nothing. You can say no post from Newsbusters or or give me everything Newsbusters. So anyway, so the first thing uh, that I went back and saw was, of course, we had the law in Indiana that said that uh, that businesses could discriminate against, amongst other people, uh, gays, uh, because for religious reasons. And then they backpedaled and said, well, no, that doesn't, doesn't mean that at all, even though that's exactly what it means. So Rick Santorum turned up, I believe, on CBS, one of the Sunday morning chat shows, and uh, and he had this to say. I think what we need to look at is we we aren't for discrimination of for against any person. I mean, I think that's no business should uh, discriminate against because of who you are. Even though Indiana and Arkansas just passed laws that allow businesses to do exactly that. All right. So then he tries to run this jive bias. Tolerance is a two way street. So with this ninja mind trick, he's trying to say that tolerance means you have to tolerate intolerance. Mm, no, please continue, Mr. Santorum. Tolerance is a two-way street. If if you're a, if you're a a, uh, a print shop and you you are a, a gay man, should you be forced to print uh, "God hates fags" for the Westboro Baptist Church because they hold those signs up? Should you be forced to do? Should the government? And this is really the case here. Should the government force you to do that? Here's the problem with that scenario. Okay, you can choose not to be a dick. You can't not choose to be gay or black or a woman or a man. I think a, a more uh, accurate uh, metaphor would be, or example, would be, let's say, um, and Fangirl and I have had this discussion before. She's a bit of a feminist. She thinks the idea of men's rights is crazy. 
And I would mostly agree with her, except for the fact when it comes to something like uh, uh, child custody. Uh, there are still cases where the law favors women, uh, fairly or unfairly. And I, I had a buddy who tried to uh, get custody of his daughter. He was engaged to a woman. Uh, the mom wasn't doing too good, was in uh, in the, the best of uh, situations. And he almost got his daughter, and then uh, they, the whole thing got scuttled. So anyway... So anyway, in that case, there's uh, you you would need a men's rights movement. I'm saying this because let's say you're a feminist who owns a print shop, and a men's rights dude comes in and wants to print a men's rights a men have rights to sign. Should she be forced to print that sign? And, and the answer is yes, because he can't not be a man. Okay. Now, if he were to go in and say that, it, uh, I don't know, uh, uh. I, I hate women and then, then, then yeah, then he, she could say not, he, she could decide not to print that sign because now he's just being a dick. There's, there's no point to, you know, does, does that make sense? Okay. So that's exhibit A. And then, uh, Phil Robertson. Holy cow. You, you just mentioned that name and you, and you know something horrible is coming. All right. So he, um, uh, turned up speaking in front of some folks. I don't even know where it was, but, uh, he, he comes up with this, uh, little tirade about atheists. I don't even think he understands how atheism works. But anyway, he, um, he, well, here it is. Two guys break into an atheist home. He has a little atheist wife. And the atheist wife says to the bartender, isn't that what it sounds like? You're trying to remember some crappy joke and you can't remember how it goes. Okay, well, I wish that were the case, but it gets really awful. Here you go. Two guys break into his home and tie him up in a chair and gag him. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but let's just say he describes a scene in his head that is made up weird fantasy of his that would make Scarface blush, okay? And then the uh, the guy that um, Al Pacino played, not the rapper. Oh, it may make the rapper blush too. I don't know. But it, it it's, it's crazy. And then he explains why he told this whole story thusly. And then they can look at him and say, isn't it great to not have to worry about being judged? Isn't it great that there's nothing wrong with this? So his point is, is that if you don't believe in God, then you don't have a sense of right and wrong, which is crazy. Uh, Penn Jillette, big, super big libertarian, you know, slash conservative, uh, is also an atheist. And he has said before, you don't have to believe in God to be a moral person, you know? And if you believe in God, it's not a bad thing. I believe in God. It's not, it, that's not the point here. The point is, if you don't believe in God, you're not an amoral person. And that's the thing that Phil Robertson doesn't quite seem to understand. He's saying that the, 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 these guys that break in that, they won't be judged because, so first of all, I guess we can learn that it's, it's okay to, to kill and murder atheists. Uh, well, kill and murder the same thing. I'm not, now I sound as dumb as Phil Robertson. Uh, it's okay to murder atheists and, and attack their family and, and things like that. I guess that's the one lesson we learned from this. And secondly, that, uh, since if you're an atheist, then there's, there's no, there's no judgment. As if there's no police and there's no judge. And oddly, uh, these guys, once captured, because there's a killing involved, uh, would of course in many states face the death penalty, which by the way, God don't like. Thou shalt not kill. It's up to him. It's, it, vengeance is his, remember? So even though it would be very tempting to be, you know, in that situation, if you were in that situation and, and lived through that, to be pro-death penalty, as I probably would be, uh, you're still not supposed to do that. So I, that just, you know. You know, Phil Robertson should produce the next franchise of Law and Order. Law and Order, Crimes Against Atheist. Uh, and the judge would be up there and he'd be saying, uh, the defendant is accused of, the defendants are accused of, uh, capital murder. Uh, defense, how do you plea? Uh, not guilty, your honor. The family they attacked were atheists. Oh, they were. Case dismissed.
April Richardson is a stand-up comedian who hails from Atlanta, Georgia. She's lived in Los Angeles for the past several years. She was a panelist on the Chelsea Lately program, hosted the famous Saved by the Bell podcast, and is one of the rotating co-hosts of the Rock Solid podcast. She's also featuring for Chris Hardwick on his fun, comfortable tour as it makes its way across the country this spring and summer. Here now is our chat with April Richardson. Okay, joining us on BS April Quarter, it's April Richardson. April, how you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Good. This is huge. Uh, really enjoy you on uh, the Rock Solid podcast as one of well, the rotating thank you hosts. Very much. Yes, that was an exciting addition uh, to that program when uh, Gary Lucy left. Um, you guys are all great. Um, uh, boy, uh, so much to talk about. Um, your own podcast and music and comedy. I guess let's start with uh, music. Were you were a music fan before you were in the comedy, or how did that uh, break out? Um, yeah, I th- or maybe even, like, just alongside each other, but yeah, I mean, okay. as long as I can remember, I got my first Smith tape when I was 12, and that pretty much opened the floodgates, but at the same time, I saw Bob Odenkirk on the A-list, ah. so it was, they probably, they were, they were, like, side by side. And what was that Smith album? Oh, Louder Than Bombs. Okay, there you go. And Yes, uh, kind of, the, even though it's a compilation. Yes. Technically doesn't count, but it was the first time that I ever heard the Smiths. So wow, pretty cool. And uh, and then of course you were a huge REM fan as well, as we found out huge. on Rock Solid. Yeah, yeah, but that was pretty easy to come by considering I grew up in Georgia. Yeah, so they were kind of like the hometown pride. Sure. So yeah, yeah. That story you told on Rock Solid about uh, meeting, uh, going to Mike Mills' porch when you were fifteen, uh, sounds exactly like something my wife would do for my daughter who is seventeen. And, uh, we and call- my mom was really cool about it. She was really <laughs> cool about it. And funnily enough, I posted that picture on my Instagram because, you know, Pat was like, you Oh, yeah, yeah. Me. And Mike Mills commented on it. Mike Mills was like, Oh, so that was you. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it was amazing. I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And he was like, No, it's cool. Like, yeah, it was really funny. Well, um, uh, last year we went to the Bunbury Music Festival here in Cincinnati and, uh, we saw uh, a new band that we like a lot, the Orwells. And, uh-huh. and of course, uh, my daughter, who we call Fangirl on the podcast, and my wife were very enamored of the lead singer, uh, Mario Cuomo, not the former governor of New York, but lead singer of the Orwells. And after the show, we hung around, and they snuck out the back to get something to eat, and my wife is like, we got to go meet him, we got to go meet him. So they went and met him and took pictures with him. Well, that's amazing. I know. Because no, my mom isn't really, I mean, she's super not into them, but I think when I was a kid, I think it was just, she grew up, she was really into Elvis growing up. And oh, her that's right. And my, my mom... My mom's mom, my nana, used to yeah. like go follow Elvis with my mom. So I think she gets the spirit of it, uh, even though she's not. I mean, she was never into REM or whatever, but she's like, I get where you're coming from. So your mom was a music person, but she didn't like follow the contemporary. Yeah, she, I mean, when she was uh, sort of, I mean, yes, she was like super into Elvis. I mean, what Southern lady wasn't. Huh. So like her and my nana saw Elvis a bunch and she was super into country music but not to the, my mom's very, I love my mom to death, but she's very responsible. She's very square. She was like a born accountant. So she was never like, you know, when I got into like punk and stuff, she was kind of like, but okay. Like she didn't get it in uh. that way. And she wasn't like obsessed with music, but like, you know, as any teenager in you know, whatever the sixties was, I mean, it was the kind of thing where it was unavoidable, but yeah. So she like ordered, she sort of understood, but not to the point. It was, but it was almost since I didn't do anything bad, I never did drugs, I never did anything like that. It was sort of like, well, if this is what you're going to be obsessed with, 
it could be way worse. You know what oh, I yeah, mean? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's I didn't find out till after college it's never really occurred to me that there are some people that really just aren't music people. Yeah, uh, yeah. Isn't that weird? <laughs> super weird because I'm always like, what did you do with your spare time? Like, wh what did you do growing up as a hobby? Yeah, I find, I I mean, not weird like I'm judging them because, I mean, everybody's oh, no. got their yeah. stuff. But, like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm just like, well, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. If it's just... not like collecting records in high school, like, I don't know what I would have done in my spare time. Yeah, it first occurred to me, I was listening to a sportscaster in Cleveland uh, at the time. He was in Cleveland. His name is Peter Brown. He's on Yahoo Radio Sports. He was talking about oh. going to a Genesis concert with his fiance in Cleveland, and he only knew, like, two songs. He goes, I'm not a music person. I just want to hear the, the hits that I know. And I'm like, you're not a music person. How is that? But I guess if you're that in the sports, you know, I mean, I like sports, too, yeah, though, but I also like music. So, Yeah, because yeah, I've, yeah, I guess. Yeah, some people it's just like wallpaper. Some people are just like, yeah, turn on yeah, the radio exactly. and whatever's on the radio, I listen to it and that's yeah. it. Yeah, and, and those are the people that are ruining music. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I always just had such a... I'm like, yeah, but don't you want to know like who produced it and who wrote it and who inspired it and what book he read when he wrote the lyric? Like, you know what I mean? I never was able to be... I mean, I guess it's good that I don't drink or anything because I'm like so obsessive in that way that like if I heard <laughs> exactly. a song I liked, I'd be like, okay, I need to know who wrote it. I need to know where it was recorded, who produced it, what, what it was inspired by, who's on the cover art. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's strange. My wife is very much a music person, but does not want to know the backstory because she, she's afraid something might get ruined for her. Uh, that is true. I mean, yeah. that has happened. Uh, I don't know. It's hard. It's funny that you say that because I've had friends be like, you know, if they break up with a dude or a lady and go, oh, this such and such is ruined for me now. This band is ruined for me because they liked it. And I was like, I don't know if I've ever loved anybody enough to let them ruin music for me. I'm like, maybe I've never known so deep a love that I've been like, oh, well, the Smiths are ruined for me now because this guy liked them. Like, no, uh, I don't, that, I can't imagine that ever happening. So, I mean, yeah, I found out things here and there where I've gone, oh, that's a bummer. But there are times where it's just like, you know, so what? It's still a good song. You know, um, you're a, a bit younger than me, but still been a music fan for a long time. Have you found yourself getting like less judgy? As you've gotten older as a music fan? Oh, absolutely. Are you yeah. kidding me? When I was in high school and like I thought I was so smart and I was just like super out there punk, I would be like, the Beatles suck. The Beatles are so over. Like I never listened to the Beatles. I like took this stance on like Beatles aren't cool, man. They're like whatever. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, well, I can like the Beatles. Uh, liking the Beatles doesn't make me less of a punk or whatever. Yeah. So, exactly. yeah, I definitely think I've gotten less and less judgmental. Um, yeah, it's, it's strange because the, the last record I had a problem with, I think, was uh, like the um, Black Eyed Peas, Boom Boom Pow. <laughs> no idea how that became a hit record. Now, the other one, I got a feeling, not their fault it was overplayed. That's a fine pop record. And, and if I have it in my iTunes, as a matter of fact. But Boom Boom Pow, I was always just like, wait, how that? that's just a bunch of... Sonically, it's nice. It's, it's not really a song, though. I, See, that's funny. I think they're terrible, too. There, I mean, there are some things where I'm like, you know, no, that... I am I am the least self-conscious. Like, I'll be like, I like everything. I like Garth Brooks. I've gone to see Garth Brooks live like five times. Like, oh, wow. I don't have any shame and that kind of stuff. But I feel like there are some, especially not pop music. Like, I went to see NSYNC in concert and stuff when I was in college. Like, I don't care. But things like the Black Eyed Peas to me are just like fundamentally bad. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, I just they don't like that one song. The rest of their stuff is fine. It's just that I hear it's on the radio so much, there's no need for me to own it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. hate Will I Am so much. I think he's so <laughs> terrible. A little pompous. Um, yeah. So where does comedy come in, into the mix? Well, I was also equally as obsessed with it. 
Um, yeah, when I was growing up, I totally, I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live, obviously. And I grew up in the era of like Phil Hartman, Jan Hooks, David Spade, Chris Farley, like those crews. And then, yeah, and then I saw Bob Odenkirk. And then I started watching. So I was like, he's like my number one. I think he's the funniest person who ever lived. So that was, I was always obsessed with comedy. Like I just always was. I watched the kids in the hall growing up. I would, I would even watch like Monty Python on PBS, like all this kind of stuff. And then, um, sorry, did you hear that? That was just me getting a text. Did that come through? Sure did. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know how to turn that off on my desktop. Oh, that's weird. I don't know. I'm sorry if those are annoying. Oh, that's oh okay. I like muted my phone and then it doesn't matter because it dings on my desktop. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't have that connection in mind to do that. It's Well, I have that thing. You know how when you get text and they'll show up on your iPad and your laptop and your whatever? Well, they show up on my desktop and I oh. I need to go find out how to turn it off. See, I, I'm PC except for my iPhone. So. Oh, okay. That's probably No, why. yeah, I got Mac and everything, so it's like every single thing updates Indeed. anytime you make a move. So, sorry about that. No anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I was always into it, but the first time I saw Bob Odenkirk was kind of like the first time, you know, as a kid of the 80s and 90s, like, a lot of stand-up was really like, what's the deal with airplane food? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think when I was a kid, I was like, well, I'll never be able to do this because, like, I'm too weird or something. And then I saw Bob Odenkirk who's a weird genius. And I was like, Oh, you can be a weirdo and still do this. So it was like the first moment where I was kind of like, maybe I could do this eventually. So you you, ever any thoughts of uh, pursuing music in any way? Well, no, because as as obsessed as I am with it, like I can't, I can't sing. I'm a terrible singer. I can't carry a tune. My mom forced me to take piano lessons in middle school so I can play piano and read music because I had to take lessons for like three or four years. But I'm not good at it. I'm not. It's like comedy was the one thing where I was like, well, I can do that. I've always made people laugh, but oh, like okay. music. Yeah. I'm just not as much as I am into it. I'm not musically inclined. Oh, okay. So when did you first get the notion to get up on stage and try some stand up? Um, honestly, it wasn't until after college. It wasn't until I moved. I moved to LA two days after I graduated from college. And I think because like I said, I just always, like, I was always a class clown. I was always that person, like, cl- cracking jokes in any class or office or any environment. And, like, in those environments, people would be like, hey, you're funny. You should do this. And I guess I just always thought, well, yeah, you think I'm funny in this situation. Like, yeah, because I just made fun of that guy who, like, tripped. But, like, I can't recreate this on stage. Like, you know what I mean? I always oh, yeah, thought it yeah. was, like, situational. Yeah. That's what they say a lot of things. It's, uh, it- a lot of people say it's you know it's easy making your friends laugh. It's hard making strangers laugh. Right, exactly. Like that's what I always thought. I was like, well, yeah, you guys think I'm funny because you know me, so whatever. Uh. But but um, sort of the challenge, I guess, is translating that to stage. Like that, yeah. I mean, my best friend Millie in Atlanta is like the funniest person I've ever met, and we've known each other since we were 15. And like all we do is make each other laugh. And I thought you know, we, even to each other, we say some hilarious stuff. And I, and so the first time I ever did an open mic, it was the sort of challenge. I was like, I'm going to see if I could take some of these jokes we make with each other and like translate them for the stage. And it went pretty well. Oh, cool. So, and funnily enough, tying it in with music, the reason that I did my very first open mic was because of Billy Bragg. Billy Bragg is a good friend of mine. Yes. And he was in town doing Jimmy Kimmel 
and I've known him forever. I've known him since I was like 18 because he did a he did an interview at our college radio station, and oh. I was the one that like picked him up and took him to the interview and stuff. Oh, cool! And he's amazing. Like he's super wonderful. And he was in town to do Jimmy Kimmel, and I I mean not to go too into it, but like I had just gotten divorced. I got divorced like six months earlier. I've been laid off. Like I was like literally laying in bed all day crying for six straight months. It was terrible. It was like the lowest point of my life. Oh, geez. And he was just like, What are you doing? He's like, Why aren't you doing comedy? Like, that's what you moved out here for. I remember you telling me that. What's your problem? Like gave me this total dad, like Tony Robbins pep talk and was just like you have to do an open like do comedy i'm gonna kick your ass i will be so disappointed in you like total dad style and so i was like okay and the very next night i did my first open mic wow i've got a billy bragg story for you okay i interviewed him in uh 19 let me see 90 i started my uh, uh own music newspaper uh uh-huh. college and uh, i was interviewing billy he was playing a show in pittsburgh and i took my friend uh sharon to see the show and we go backstage and uh, Billy's like, well, I've got another uh, interview to do first, you know, in that thick East London accent. Um, yes. What do you, you guys have a beer, and I'll be right back with you. So Billy leaves the room. I walk over to the beer thing, pick one up for me and one for Sharon, and I and I buy the hand to her, and the road manager screams at me, put those beers down, those are for the band only. And I'm like, uh, but but Billy said, okay, I'll put them down. Right. Yeah, there you go. That's my Billy That's Bragg's his, Wait, he didn't, oh, if he had seen that, he would have been oh. really- he, yeah, he'd, he'd left to go to the other interview in the in the other room, in the main room, because the, the show was over. But no, no, he couldn't have been nicer during the interview. Yeah, he was awesome and had me... Oh, uh, he's the world's nicest dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's totally. He's the best dude. Yeah, and you know who I was, I was always uh, enamored of him was Letterman. Yeah. Yeah, when he uh, did, we did the, he, uh, did the Great Leap Forward on uh, on Letterman, I remember uh, Dave saying, why'd you give a week's pay to be able to talk like you? Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> Yeah, he's fantastic, and it's funny because the first time that I met him, because again, it was like totally my roommate, Millie, who I mentioned before, she was the music director at our radio station, and he was doing an interview, and she was just like, she couldn't pick him up for some reason. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm double booked, like whatever, can you just go pick him up to bring him to the station? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he was super nice, super great, and I had the Smiths playing in my car, and he turned it up, and he was like singing in the oh. top of his lungs. <laughs> it was so fantastic. And then he did the interview, and then I had to drive him like from the thing to sound check. And he was like, "Hey, I've got a surprise for you. Come into sound check." And I was like, "Okay." And then that's when he introduced me to Grant Showbiz, who's his sound guy and his oh. producer, but who was also the sound guy for the Smiths for their entire. Oh. He went on tour for the Smiths from day one. Wow. And uh, yeah, so he was like, "Yes, yeah, is Grant Showbiz," and I was like, "What?" And uh, I just grilled him for like hours straight. And now Grant's one of my closest friends. He's wonderful and a totally hilarious spaz and has the raddest stories because he was on tour with the Smiths like the whole time. But he also produced all the fall records. Like he's just got all these crazy Marky Smith stories and like he's awesome. He's super nice. So that it was crazy that I met those dudes when I did and we've kept in touch and they're rad. Cool. Yeah, we're big fans of the fall. I remember my uh, friend Sharon also saying it's impossible to sing along to a Billy Bragg record without adopting the accent. Oh, of course, yeah, of course, it, it, but that's like the most it fun It can't part. be done. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I've tried to do it, just sing it straight. It can't be done. So you spent a lot of time in England, too, as I recall. You'd gone back and forth between Atlanta and, and Manchester, was it, and stayed with friends yeah, there? Yeah, because a friend of mine, yeah, I basically, yeah, I didn't start college until I was 23 because after I graduated high school, I just kind of went and kicked it in Manchester for as long as possible, yeah. as long as my, until my mom was like, you have to come home and move out of my house. Um, but yeah, it was super fun. A friend of mine in high school in Atlanta, she had moved, her family moved to Atlanta from Manchester when she was a little kid and her cousin would come visit every summer and he was awesome and we got along great. And so I ended up just going back over there with him and staying at his house 
And uh, yeah, it was a blast. I mean, obviously, I made them take me to all these like Smith's landmarks, and I got sure. to go to the Hacienda before they turned it into condos. And so I went to all these like factory records and New Order landmarks and all that oh, wow. stuff. It was wow. great. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it was really fun. And then, uh, and then you came back to the United States permanently. At what point? When you said your mom said you got you got to go. Yeah, I came back. I went over there when I was eighteen, so I probably came back when I was like twenty-one. I mean, I was going back and forth. The thing is, you can't legally. I tried to like legally live there, oh, and they were yeah. like, "No, because you don't. You're not doing anything. You're not going to college, like whatever." So you can only go for like six months at a time. Oh, so I see. I, for six months, and then like come home and for a couple months, and then go back and come home because you know they would get suspicious if you just get there and the customs person's like, "How long are you going to be here?" and you're like, "Indefinitely," then they're like, "No, you can't do that." So. Yeah, I was, like, back and forth on and off until finally my mom was just like, yeah, you're 21, like, all your stuff's still on. You need to move out of my house. Like, come home, move out of my house, get a job, like, be an adult. And I was just uh, like, okay. Do you so, uh, you fancy uh, ever moving to England permanently? Yeah, I would love to, but it is really hard to do. Funnily enough, it's funny that you ask because I almost fake married my friend. My friend Neil is, that's who I lived with. I lived with yeah. Neil and his parents. And like my mom even came to visit me. Like my mom, you know, came over to meet his parents to make sure everything was cool and whatever. And we're just friends. Like Neil and I never dated or anything. But when we were there and he likes, Amer he was like, we both were like, we should get fake married. Like, why don't we just get fake married? And then we can both come and go as we please. And then... After soon after one of the times I came back, he started college. Like he went to university and then called me and was like, "Sorry, I can't get fake married. I have a girlfriend now, and that uh, girlfriend is now his wife and oh. like mother of his kids." But there was a time that we were going to get fake married just so we could do that. But it's pretty hard to just move there unless you have, unless you're Chrissy Hind and you have the balls to just move over there and start a band. Or yeah. it's got weird. You've either got to be like. You have to be a student, like a college has to say, we want April to come over here and be a student, or you have to have some sort of sought after job. Like you have to be like an inventor or something that's going to benefit the nation, or you have to have an employer that wants to hire you. Like the employer has to say, we have to hire April. She's the only one who can do this job. Yeah. Like it's pretty tough to move there. Yeah. I, I, I'm a huge Anglophile and I, I've never been. Oh my God, you have to go. I know. Yeah. Well, my wife's afraid to fly over the ocean. And uh, it's See, uh, my mom was too. My mom was absolutely terrified of flying. Like she's always been terrified, and that was the first time she flew over the ocean was to come visit me. And I'm telling, once she, it was nothing. She got there and she was like, I don't know why I was scared. That was nothing. It yeah. was the easiest flight. So maybe once your wife does it once, she'll be. Because now my mom's like a jet setter. We went to Italy together oh, last wow. year. Like so, maybe just the one well, one flight will get her over it. Well, maybe once we get fangirl through college, and then the the younger one, maybe we'll we'll, we'll get that sorted. I listen to Radio One every day. Uh, and nice. I listened to World Service uh, my whole life, and then I discovered a couple of years ago, oh, you can listen to Radio 1 on the Internet, and I just discovered that, like, in 2010. Right, very, right. Yeah, yeah I, um, I'm totally an Anglophile, too, and even after that time, when I came back and I went to college, I even did a study abroad thing in, in London, because I was like, oh, cool. I just want an excuse to go back and live there for a while, so... Yeah, I always tell my uh, family, if we ever do go over there, one stop we were making in London is uh, is broadcast. Well, now it's called Broadcasting House. They moved from Bush House. They're now in Broadcasting House in central London. And I'm going to take the BBC radio tour. Well, the cool thing, that is awesome. It's super fun. And the cool thing also about the UK anyway is like, it's so easy to get, like the entire country is the size of like the state of Georgia. Like oh, you yeah. can get... In one day, if you want to go to Manchester, go to London, go up to Scotland, like you can just do all that really easily. Oh yeah, that'd be my second trip up to Liverpool to see all the OMD uh, landmarks. Yeah, so we well, I 
had to go for my mom, we went to see all the Beatles oh, yeah. stuff. And we took we actually took the ferry across the Mercy. Like they, oh. they have the Jerry and the Pacemakers thing playing while you do that. Oh, and, that's cool. Yeah, but all that stuff's easy to do. I mean, it's all you just jump on a train to get anywhere. There's a um a, sh- uh, a documentary called Synth Britannia that was on a couple of years ago. It talked about all the uh, synth pop music that came out of Britain in the 70s and 80s. And Andy uh-huh. McCluskey is standing on, uh, what was it called? I th- Matthew Street. And I didn't know that the, the cavern and, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the other club, Eric's, where uh, Teardrop Explodes and Echo and the Bunnymen and all them play, they're across the street from each other. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. He pointed that out. He goes, right, and right across the street, the cavern club where the Beatles played. Yes, totally, and it's like super tiny. Also, yeah. there's I, I need to watch that. I haven't seen that one, but oh, there's it's a, on a YouTube. It is so good. Is it? I, oh, oh is it my god, uh, YouTube. Okay, I'll have to because there's a similar one that I have, uh, and it's called "This Is Sheffield," I think. But it's a, it's the oh, okay. history of like Sheffield, yeah, yeah. It's like you know, Human League and, and Seventeen and ABC. Yeah, all those bands. It's rad. It's rad. Ooh, I gotta find that. It's, what's called "This Is Sheffield." I think it's called, it's got Sheffield in the name. I want to say it is just okay. This Is Sheffield, but yeah, it's like mm. the history of all those Sheffield bands. Oh, I gotta find that. You say that's a Netflix? Uh, or... no, I have it on DVD, but okay. I feel like it has been on Netflix. Okay. But yeah, got that. It's like Heaven check. 17, like all those dudes. To check that out. Okay. And besides uh, the Rock Solid podcast, uh, you had your own podcast for a while called Go Bayside until you ran out of Saved by the Bell episodes. Yes. I, and that's the funny thing is I still get, I get borderline hate mail because <laughs> it's people being enthusiastic and sure. being like, I want more. But like, I've had people, literally a guy tweeted at me, get off your ass and make <laughs> Go Bayside. And I'm like, there's no more show. I'm watching yeah. the whole show. Like, yeah. it's not me being lazy, dude. Yeah. Yeah. But you, yes, I watched the entire run of Saved by the Bell, each episode with a different guest, and we picked it apart because that was another huge, huge part of my childhood. Sure. Yeah, my wife used to watch that, actually, though, even when she was like, we were out of college, I guess, when that was on. And well, because it's like unavoidable. It. it was on like yeah. nine times a day, no matter yeah. what channel you turned on. Well, it was like it was, unavoidable. I think we were watching it in the original NBC run. Yeah, I, no, I was too, but then yeah. even when I got to be in college and yeah. stuff, yeah, it was still on in the mornings, like when I'd be getting ready. Yeah, I think a lot of people have kind of uh, taken that format. I think you were kind of the, one of the pioneers with watching a show. I know that Rocky Laporte told me there's a guy that's in Arizona that does that with Golden Girls. He has people watch a Golden yes. Girls episode and they discuss it. Uh, Jeff Tate does it with Cheers. And I told my wife, we should do a Love Boat podcast. because you we, should. All, we we They're free on YouTube. Uh, you can watch all the episodes. And we, she always has the most hilarious things to say about the show and about these old guest stars we know from the 70s. And you can't believe how like sexist and how fat-shaming all the, oh, that kind of stuff that goes on. It's Completely. It's, oh, yeah, it's fascinating. I should totally do it. Yeah, you I'll, guys should do it. If there's, if there's uh, any, any black actors or actresses on, they're always friends of Isaac's. As soon as they show up, as soon as they show them up on the screen when the theme is playing, my wife will say, oh, now we know Isaac's got a, a storyline. Right. Oh, man, man. So, uh, yeah. So, um, do you have any other projects uh, in the works as far as a podcast goes? I know you'd mentioned it a long time ago on Rock Solid. You were kind of kicking around some ideas. I am. Yeah. I'm, uh, it's, yes. I'm trying to narrow it down, to be honest, because I kind of, I was really leaning heavily towards my next one being a Morrissey podcast. Ah. And, but the thing is, is I know, I kind of, for a re, I know that his name, people like love or hate that guy. And I could, but the idea would be, like, obviously, everybody knows I love him, but I would yes. on purpose have guests that hate him. Like, I would have guests that hate him. I would have guests, like, I would change it up. And plus, it wouldn't even be, I have so many stories. I have a list of ideas, but at the top of the list right now is perhaps a Morrissey podcast because 
I mean, not only do I know a ton, I know personally a ton of comics that like I'm, that was like one of the first times I met Jen Kirkman is like talking about Morrissey. Oh, yeah. I, know, I met Tom Lennon at a Morrissey show, like well before I even did comedy. I met him at a Morrissey show. Like Scott Ackerman's really into it. Like I know a ton of comedians who are like, I'll totally be on it. But I also on purpose want to have people on that hate him and talk about why they hate him. And also I have, I just have so many stories because so much of my life has been spent like following that guy around. So mm. I even just have crazy stories of like going to see him in other countries and stuff and almost getting killed and stuff like oh, that. Geez. So, Wow, that sounds pretty cool. Just think of the format of it because I don't want it to turn into the Chris Farley kind of he's so awesome. Thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I I uh, neither love nor hate Morrissey, but I I like him a lot. So <laughs> I'm more on the like side, definitely. <laughs> you say that because that is rare. I mean, he does usually seem to be a real love or hate type dude. Oh, I got me a lot of Smith CDs. I have most of the Morrissey solo catalog. I kind of uh, drifted away, kind of toward the last one I got. Was the one with um uh what was the song the the, the first of the gang to die? Oh, you are the quarry. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, a few that, That's the last album I have, but I love that song, man. Yeah, that's good, one of my favorite Morrissey album. songs. Yeah, I love that uh, the whole album. So yeah, I'm uh mostly in the light category, but uh you know not not real real strongly. So I guess I'm more of a Liverpool guy uh, when you get down to it. Now, would this encompass like Johnny Marr and and uh, Smith's related things, or just Morrissey? Yeah, definitely. Like, okay. I really wanted to be like wide reaching and to just, but it's it's a and I want it to be funny, and I think it can be because that's one thing. I'm, a huge misconception that annoys me about people who don't like Morrissey and assume that he's like this boohoo, depressed. He's like hilarious. That's what I hate. He's ah. if you pay attention. The dude is super funny, and so I kind of want to get that across. But also, it would just be a cool excuse to tell stories like associated with him and. Well, yeah, just so many comics I know now, like, grew up listening to him and have so many, like, Scott Ockram was like, oh, my God, I have so many stories of listening to him as a teenager and stuff. So, I don't know. It's just a matter of figuring out the format and all that kind of stuff. So hmm. I got to see the Smiths live once on the Queen is Dead tour. Uh, oddly, they came That's to Pittsburgh. amazing! Yeah, they came to Pittsburgh. I remember they had to stop the show uh, in the encore because these girls all stormed the stage and one was sitting in, was sitting in uh, Mike Joyce's lap. And, uh, uh uh, yeah, and they were trying to grab Morrissey, and he was, you know, he was, uh, you know, very calm and collected about it. He didn't, he just kind of like just shuffed them off a little bit and just kept trying to sing and stuff. It was pretty funny, but uh, well, yeah, that's still a tradition. I mean, I've been on stage to hug him like five times. I mean, that's still a thing oh, that wow. happens at shows. Oh, cool. Oh, then then maybe that wasn't uh, so unusual. Um, well, terrific. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today, April. This this has been awesome. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, of course. Thank um, you for having me. Oh, all right, man. I'm looking forward to hearing you again on Rock Solid. I know Pat's got a lot of big guests coming up that's kind of pushed you, you four back. I know. We're trying to think of the next. He, well, he emailed me just the other day because he's trying to think of the next theme. So I'm trying to think of that. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I sent him a bunch uh, the other day, uh, some suggested by Fangirl. And uh, I came up with another okay. one, and I can't remember what it, what it was now. But, yeah, I would. We actually have ripped off the format a couple of times. In fact, it turns out one of our most popular shows was a, a rock solid esco. We did uh, best fake bands ever. So oh, you, nice. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we like the uh, one of mine was the uh, Pebbles and Bam Bam band because one of the songs that was on it was written by uh, this guy named uh, Tony from Tony's Tigers. They were a psychedelic. Well, we're not a more of a jangle band from the '60s. And this, right. And this guy became an in-house songwriter there at Hanna Barbera and. So yeah, right. and try to be a, a very popular episode. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, again, thanks for uh, doing the show, and uh, looking forward to a new podcast from you. Hopefully, a Morrissey podcast. Yeah, hopefully. I just got to figure it out. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you in Cincinnati sometime, uh, where I am doing some stand up. Yeah, hopefully. Okay, great. Okay, well, good talking to you, April. 
Okay, cool. You too. Thanks. All right, bye-bye. All right. There you go, April Richardson on PFT April Quarter, episode 195. Like I said, I'll try to get an update for you in the coming weeks to find out uh, what has become of April uh, over there in England, what she's what she's doing, if she's doing any stand-up or, or whatnot or, or writing. Or I'm sure she's got to be up to something. Uh, I would imagine she's up to something really cool. And now we're up to the song of the week before I let you guys go. It's by a woman named Joy Crooks. I hadn't heard of her before. Of course, I heard it on Radio 1. And turns out she's from London. And it, another one of these uh, lady female singer-songwriter, you know, Dua Lipa, types which we're seeing more of which is fantastic good to see uh, more of this in the charts and and more songs again i hate to be the you know the old guy i don't like to rap and dance music but you know i like songs i'm old i like songs and sinbad feels the same way <laughs> he said this back in the 90s he used to have a joke about he loved rap music but he's like just sing me a song <laughs> So that's how I feel now. Anyway, Joy Crooks, this kind of has got a, a nice 70s vibe to it. And I was listening to it this morning when I was choosing the song of the week. I was like, yeah, I, I, I remember why I like this so much. It's kind of got that late 70s pop feel to it. I'm listening to a lot of the uh, the old Casey Kasem American Top 40s from the 70s and 80s. And, uh, yeah, it really gives me that vibe. I think you're going to enjoy it too. This is Joy Crooks on PF's tape recorder. She has our song of the week with a track called Feet Don't Fail Me Now. Not the Utopia tune. A whole separate feet don't fail me now. Joy Crooks, PF Tape Recorder, so long and thanks for listening. I've been posing with red skies, retweeting picket signs, put my name on petitions, but I won't change my